Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. With speaker, Pastor Steve Benninger, entitled, Zechariah's Song, from Luke 1, 67-79. You can find the sermon outline for this message at enewlife.com. chapter 1 in the Word of God this morning. So if you have a Bible or device, you can go there, Luke chapter 1. And as you're going there, uh, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much for this season that we get to experience every year. What a season where the person and the work of the Son of God, your Son, is magnified. And I pray today, Lord, that your Spirit would do just that in our hearts as we examine this wonderful passage of Scripture, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of my favorite Bible words is the word behold. It's a great word, isn't it? Would you say it with me? Behold. You find it all throughout the Scriptures. The word behold means to stop and stare, to gaze upon, to to take in fully to let whatever is before you that you're beholding captivate you. Beholding is what you do when you're outside on a crystal clear night and you look up into the black velvet sky. You see millions of sparkling little diamonds flickering and blinking back at you from across the expanse of the sky. That's not a time for looking. That's not a time for glancing. That's a time for beholding. A month or so ago, I walked outside of my house just before dark to bring my trash cans back in because I didn't want to leave them out all week like some people do. And uh, over to the west, I saw the sky filled with cascading layers of brilliant oranges and pinks with golden sunbeams shooting out from their midst. And the first thing I did is I, I found the first family member I could find and I grabbed him and said, come on outside, you got to check this out, you got to see this before it's gone. That was a time for beholding. And it's interesting, isn't it? When we do come across something worth beholding, we instinctively want to do what? Like, share that. Invite somebody else. Hey, come on out here. Check this out. You've got to see this. We want them to experience that same sense of awe that we experienced. You know, it occurred to me that the word behold could actually be a one-word title for the whole Bible, for the story of the Bible. Behold. Behold God. Stop and stare at God. Gaze upon His glorious plan to redeem for Himself a royal family from among sinful mankind. That makes me think of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Would you read this aloud with me? Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold your God. I think this is so important for God's people to be reminded of these days leading up to Christmas because the culture around us would have us behold anything and everything except Jesus Christ, would have us get all giddy about acquiring more stuff, would have us get excited about what humanity has achieved 
while relegating the accomplishments of God to the background. We must not succumb to the pressure of our culture. Amen? As the redeemed people of God, we must call each other to behold Him. To behold Him. To let our hearts be captured once again by the glory of God shown in sending His beloved Son to earth. Our Christmas series this year, we've decided to let ourselves be tutored in this by some of the great beholders in the Bible, specifically several people that were introduced to in the Gospels right around when baby Jesus was about to be born. And so last week, Pastor Joe showed us the great song of praise that flowed from the lips of Mary, the mother of our Lord. And today we're going to learn from another beholder whose story is also contained in Luke Chapter 1. This one was not a young woman, but an old man, a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now, Mary's song is often called the what? Do you know? The Magnificat. But I don't know if you knew that Zechariah's song here has often been called the Benedictus. The Benedictus. And that's from the Latin word meaning to bless or to give a blessing, which is how it opens. It's found in Luke chapter 1, as I said, verses 67 through 79. So if you haven't taken your study guide out yet, go ahead and do that. And I printed the text out there for you. And what came out of this man's mouth is stunning. It's like a bridge connecting the New Testament back to the Old Testament, linking them together, as we'll see. It's a rich hymn of praise, and it's chock full of theology. Let me give you a little background on this man, Zechariah, before we dive into his song. He was a priest, as I told you, a Jewish priest. He was one of hundreds of priests in the nation of Israel at the time. And he had a, a domain, an area that he was responsible for, kind of like a parish. And it was the hill country of Judea. And in his training for the priesthood, he would have spent decades studying the Torah, studying the Old Testament, memorizing the Old Testament. And his song of praise here shows that. It reveals a depth of knowledge that shows us how well he knew the scriptures. He was a married man, married to a woman named Elizabeth. That's right. And Elizabeth happened to be a relative of Mary, the mother of the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth did not have any children which for them would have been a, a kind of a source of embarrassment and shame because in that culture, having children was widely regarded as a sign of God's blessing. Now, every year, a priest was chosen by lot to serve a particular two-week stint in the temple in Jerusalem. And on what, one such, uh, being on duty there, Zechariah received a visit from an angel, a messenger angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel declared to him that his wife, Elizabeth, who had been barren all these years, was, was going to be pregnant and have a child, a special child, a son. And the angel told him that that boy would grow up to become a special man. He would become the promised forerunner of the Jewish Messiah. He would be the prophet who would prepare the way for the arrival of Messiah. Gabriel even gave Zechariah God's choice for the boy's name, which was... John, he would become John the Baptist. Well, Zechariah, standing there, performing his priestly duty, receiving this visit from this angel, was understandably startled and stunned. 
And he had the misfortune of expressing some doubt that God would or could do this for he and his wife in their old age. And so as a result, he was disciplined for his unbelief. And he was struck with muteness, which means he couldn't talk. He couldn't say anything for the entire duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Imagine that. But nine months later, Luke tells us what happened in Luke 1.57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Let's, let's ask dad then about this, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he, Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet, probably an iPad, <laughs> and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And what came out of his mouth that day, thankfully, was written down so that generations of believers could be blessed by it, like us today. Listen as I read for you the Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then looking down into the face of that little baby, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now that is a song of praise. In the original language, it was one long continuous sentence, a cascade of words just tumbling out, gushing out of this man's mouth, who of course had spoken no words at all for nearly a year. Imagine what it must have been like to see your wife's belly growing month by month by month after having been convinced that you'd never have any children and not being able to talk about it, not being able to say anything to anybody about that. And now with his ability to speak returned to him, the door just opens wide and all that was in his heart just gushes out. Remember, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a prophetic song. Luke tells us it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was a song that may have been sung or simply spoken or recited. It's a song of blessing in which this 70 or 80-year-old priest loudly and probably, don't you think, with great emotion, 
blesses the God of Israel for all that he has done. And it is a song of salvation, just like Mary's song that we explored last weekend. You read this, you don't get very far into it before you realize that the arrival of this baby, baby John, and the soon birth of Mary's baby obviously marks something far more momentous than your typical birth celebration. For Zechariah realizes this is actually a pivotal moment in the history of Israel and actually a pivotal moment in the history of mankind, of humanity. For it indicated that the chosen time had come for the fulfillment of three ancient covenants that God had made. Three covenants. We'll come back to that in a few moments. So there's Zechariah. Do you see him standing there at the temple with Elizabeth by his side, undoubtedly surrounded by family and friends? He's cradling that little, sweet, eight-day-old baby in his arms, and he's sensing what it all meant in the grand scheme of things, and he's overwhelmed. And he just breaks out in this prophetic utterance that is really worship. I mean, that's what this is. This is a quintessential expression of worship. And I want us to learn about worship this morning from Zechariah in hopes that we can follow in his footsteps and give the Lord the praise that is due his name as we approach this Christmas season. And especially worship him for his marvelous saving work, salvation. So I see several insights about worship that we can learn from Zechariah and his song. First, let's note that Zechariah worshipped God. You say, well, doesn't that go without saying? No. We need to say it. Zechariah worshipped God. How does his song begin? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You see, the question is not, will you worship? That's not the question, because all human beings are worshippers. Everybody walking the planet worships something or someone with their lips, with their lives. We were all wired for worship. We cannot help it. We were created to praise greatness, to make much of something. Every single one of us is a walking billboard for whatever has captivated us, for whatever we think is great and awesome for whatever we think will make our lives full and meaningful. Just ask yourself this question. Ask, what is it that makes you the most happy? What could you not even imagine living without? Or what do you fear losing the most? And your answers to those questions will give you a clue as to what's on your billboard, what you worship. Listen to yourself talk when you're around other people. Think about what you get all excited and animated about when you're in a group of, uh, of other people talking. And you'll get insight into what it is that you worship. You see, the question is not, will you worship? The question is, who will you worship? Or what will you worship? Zechariah's song here is notable for many things, but especially its focus on God. He worshiped God, like Mary, he was enamored with the Lord, with the Lord. Let me ask you this, this Christmas season, are you following in the footsteps of Mary? Are you following in the footsteps of Zechariah? Are you directing your praise towards 
God? Are you speaking about him to the people that you come in contact with? You see, biblical worship is not magnifying or broadcasting what I'm doing, what I'm planning, what I'm thinking about, what I'm involved in. It's recognizing and celebrating and honoring what God is doing and what he has done and what he has planned. And the reason Zechariah's praise could be so focused on God is because of how he perceived what was going on, how he perceived his circumstances in those moments. And that's a second insight into worship here. What triggered this song? What prompted this to come out of his mouth? You see, Zechariah worshipped God because he saw God's activity behind his circumstances. Look at it again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he gave us a baby. It says, he, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Sure, this old guy was no doubt thrilled that his wife had finally gotten pregnant. Sure, he was excited for her. She was busy about the house preparing a room for their new arrival. He felt blessed and grateful that God had answered their many, many, many prayers throughout the years and in such a miraculous way at their age. But can you see, he also saw beyond those things to something far richer and far deeper. He saw how their story fit into God's story. You see that? Because he knew the word of God, he could interpret what was happening in their lives through the lens of what God was doing, what God was up to. He perceived the momentous, momentousness of what God was doing and using them to help fulfill his plan and his purposes. He saw they had a part in that plan and it humbled him and it also ignited a fire in his belly. You see, just as Zechariah, think about this, just as Zechariah had been silent for nine months, God had been silent for 400 years. 400 years, four whole centuries, there had been no prophets in Israel, no word from God, no divine visitations, no prophetic messages from on high. With the closing of the Old Testament era, the heavens had gone dark. No words from God. And that had been even more perplexing because the prophet Malachi, who wrote the final book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, he'd been given some promises from God that had created a stir of anticipation and excitement in the people. Let me read some of them to you from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Remember, this is the last book of the Old Testament. Behold, this is from the Lord. There's that word again. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Someone's coming. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So he's coming to pronounce judgment. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. 
few verses later, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So you have these promises, these spine-tingling promises from the Lord of a coming prophet, a messenger who would have an Elijah-like ministry. He would burst onto the scene, pronounce judgment on all of Israel's enemies, and begin preparing the way for another. Someone referred to here as the son of righteousness, who would come suddenly to his temple in judgment. Can you envision a scene from the life of Jesus that fits that description? I can. But also he would come to bring healing. And so there's this wonderfully mysterious promise spoken by God through Malachi, creating all this anticipation, and then nothing. Silence for four hundred years. I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but maybe it was when Elizabeth's baby first started to show that it dawned on Zechariah that God's silence really was coming to an end, that Malachi's prophecies really were about to come to pass. What I do know is that when his lips were finally loosed, the first words out of his mouth were praise that God is visiting his people once again after that long stretch when the heavens were brass and there was silence. After all, hadn't the angel Gabriel, who came to him nine months earlier, actually quoted Malachi's prophecy? That's what happened. And he applied it to this son that he and Elizabeth would have. So now holding that little baby in his arms, he realized in the fullest way that this event, this happening meant so much more than just he and Elizabeth adding to their family. Their son, John, would actually be that promised messenger coming in the spirit and power of Elijah who would prepare the way for Messiah. So God was moving again. God was speaking again, working again, acting again, redeeming again. The silence was over, and that filled Zechariah's heart with praise. You know, to truly worship like Zechariah worshiped, we must have eyes to see beyond our current circumstances, behind it and underneath it to the activity of God. We must ask ourselves that question, what is God up to here? I mean, I can see what's going on, but what's, what's behind it? What's God up to? We must discern that, the ways that he's working to fulfill his plan and his purposes in and through our lives. And to really be able to do that and perceive that, we must know the Word of God. Because it's in the Word of God that we learn the ways of God. And we learn the plans of God. And we learn the purposes of God. Those are revealed in his Word. So thank God for these prophecies written down by Malachi, and thank God that Zechariah knew them. And his heart leaped within his chest as he realized that the little baby cradled in his arms meant that God was having favor on his people once again. He saw the bigger picture, didn't he? He beheld the activity of God. It caused his heart to erupt in worship of the Lord. And then, let's not miss 
But the essence of Zechariah's worship was this, that he marveled at God's covenant faithfulness to his people. God's covenant faithfulness. Look at the words again. Look at the lyrics of this song. His praise to God for visiting and redeeming his people is really focused on three covenant promises that Zechariah saw as being fulfilled in the births of these two little baby boys that would be just months apart, John and Jesus. We've studied this in the past, but let me remind all of us again that this concept of covenant is essential to understanding the Bible. You cannot understand the Bible, and you especially cannot understand the Old Testament without a grasp of this notion of covenant, this concept. So what is a covenant? Well, if you, you boil it down to its essence, it's a promise, isn't it? Covenant is a, an ironclad pledge from God that flows from His character. It's irrevocable, and it is meant to accomplish His plan. It's a promise. The Scriptures reveal, and this is debated some by Bible scholars, but I believe the Scriptures reveal six covenants that are actually called covenants. And three of those six are alluded to right here in Zechariah's song. Do you see them? I'm going to have you circle some words on your outline there. Do you see David? Go back to the lyrics of the song. Circle the word David. And then down a little bit further, do you see another name? Abraham. Circle Abraham. And then go down even further to the, near the very end where it says the forgiveness of sins. Would you circle that phrase as well? These represent three covenants, pledges, promises that God had made to his people. His, his covenant with King David, sometimes called the Davidic covenant. David, Davidic covenant. His covenant with Abraham, sometimes called the Abrahamic covenant. And then what God calls the new covenant, the covenant of forgiveness. So let me take a moment and remind you what each of these was about. First, the covenant with David. Let's read the passage from his song again here, Zechariah's song. It says, He, God, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So you might remember in your study of the scriptures that God had made a promise to King David some thousand years, a thousand years before this, pledging that David would have a dynasty, basically, a lasting, enduring royal dynasty in Israel, and that one of his descendants, one of David's descendants, would one day sit on the throne in Israel and rule Judah and Israel and the nations from that throne. Those promises are found in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Psalm 89. Really, all of Psalm 89 is a celebration of God's covenant with David. And inherent to that covenant was the promise of salvation. National salvation, political salvation, deliverance from their enemies. And of course, Israel has had enemies continuously down through the centuries up to this very day, nations that want to wipe them off the face of the earth. So part of this covenant promise was political deliverance from all of their uh, antagonists and spiritual salvation and being redeemed from sin, 
as God's holy, special, chosen covenant people. Zechariah would have been very, very, very familiar with this covenant from all of his studies of the Old Testament. And indeed, this covenant had been the hope of this nation for a millennium. Now he was realizing that with the birth of his son and the delivery of Mary's child just months away, this covenant was on the verge of being realized. It's happening. It's not a stretch to think that when Mary came and visited Zechariah and Elizabeth, that she had shared with them what the angel Gabriel had told her. Recorded in Luke 1.31, here's what the angel Gabriel had told Mary. Behold, there it is again. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What is this if it is not a restatement of the Davidic covenant? You see this? That was going to be fulfilled, Gabriel was telling her, by her own son, Jesus. And so you see, Zechariah broke out in worship to God because his boy would have the honor of paving the way for the arrival of that long-awaited, highly anticipated son of David, ruler of Israel, king of the nations, who had been promised way back a thousand years before. But that's not all. Zechariah also realized that this that was happening signaled God's fulfillment of a second beloved covenant, and that was the covenant with Abraham. See again in his song of praise, And God will remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham. And what was that covenant? Well, if you go back to Genesis, you will find God making a promise to that man, Abram at the time. Abram, the ham came later. He and his wife Sarai, who would become Sarah, also had no children. They were barren. And God came to him and he promised Abram that one day his descendants would be so numerable they would be uncountable. As many as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, so your your descendants will be. And that his offspring would become a nation of God's specially chosen people. They would have their own homeland. And that one day the entire world would be blessed through one of his descendants referred to as the seed of Abraham. That was the covenant God made with Abraham. And so, think about it now, as praise is pouring out of Zechariah's mouth, all of that 2,000 years of national longing came out too. Longing for the seed of Abraham to show up. must have blown Zechariah away to think this, to think that the son of David and the seed of Abraham were one and the same person who at that moment was a tiny little baby, a few pounds at most, growing inside the womb day by day of Mary. It must have blown him away. So much anticipation, so much expectation, so much longing and aching tied up in that little child growing in Mary's womb. And Zechariah thought, my son, 
my son, John, he's going to get the honor of announcing the arrival of the son of David and the seed of Abraham. How privileged he must have felt. And then, woven all throughout this Benedictus, is the thrill of knowing that his son's birth also pointed to the fulfillment of a third covenant that God had made with his people. God himself called it the new covenant. Look again at Zechariah's song down towards the end as he looks at his sweet little baby. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. How did Zechariah know that God would provide a way for sins to be forgiven? How did he know that? Well, because he knew his Old Testament. He knew his Old Testament. He was very acquainted with the Old Testament promise related to this. And I want to share the scriptures with you so you'll have them. The promise of a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, probably the most well-known passage describing this. This is the Lord speaking. Behold, man, it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, once you see this word behold, you say, stop and stare. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. That was a covenant with Moses. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. They broke covenant with me. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, not on tablets of stone. It'll be written in their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here it is. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's the new covenant, the covenant of forgiveness of sins. Elucidated even more in Ezekiel 36, 24, the Lord speaking again, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What glorious promises these are in the new covenant. Forgiveness of sin, cleansing from idolatry, a new heart that's soft towards God and wants to obey Him. The law of God written on our hearts. Knowing the Lord, he talks about knowing the Lord in a deep, personal way being his people belonging to him this is the new covenant and this is salvation salvation let me remind you this christmas season that of all of god's gifts to humanity there is none greater or more magnificent than the new covenant gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins i mean god has given us many 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 gifts air to breathe food to eat, a 
beautiful planet to wonder at and marvel at. Clothes, shelter, friends, church, family, Bible, the Holy Spirit. But none of those gifts matches the gloriousness of the gift of salvation. Forgiveness of sins. And that's the gift that was most costly to the Lord to provide for us. That's why no other gift should be more treasured in our hearts than the gift of salvation. It's new covenant salvation that should make our hearts sing. Amen? It's what we sing about. Notice all throughout Zechariah's song, there's salvation language sprinkled all over. Do you see the phrases? He redeemed his people. That's salvation language. He raised up a horn of salvation for us. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. Wait, we don't have holiness and righteousness. How does that come to be? How do we come to have righteousness? Through salvation. To give knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. At the end it says, he does all this to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Does that describe any of us? Were any of us sitting in darkness before we knew the Lord? Sitting in the shadows? Zechariah knew that the arrival of this one meant that salvation was about to be accomplished. Spiritual salvation from sin and all the benefits associated with it. I got to thinking, I wonder, do you think Zechariah understood that Mary's baby would have to grow up and die? I wonder if Zechariah comprehended that in the plan of God, that little child growing within Mary would one day have to suffer and bleed and be nailed to a cross to provide that salvation. I wonder if he knew. Remember, there was no New Testament yet when Zechariah was around. He couldn't go to Ephesians chapter 2 or Romans chapter 3 and look it up. It hadn't been written yet. But he had been a Jewish priest. And he had studied the Old Testament scriptures extensively for decades. And if God had mercy on him and removed the veil from his eyes so that he could read Old Testament passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 the way they should be read, revealing a Messiah who would have to suffer and die, whose death would atone for the sins of others, then surely he knew. Surely he knew. And if he understood that, perhaps he also understood that for the son of David to reign forever as the eternal king, if he had died, then he must be raised again. I hope he knew that and rejoiced in that. And so we see that Zechariah's song of worship was really the overflow of a grateful heart that was overcome with thanksgiving that God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God, that he makes promises and he keeps his promises to his people. I, for one, am thankful that Luke had the presence of mind to record it, to write down the words of Zechariah's song so that we could enjoy it today so that we could benefit from its riches. It's full of insight, it's full of faith, it's full of hope. 
It's a beautiful portrait of worship, pure worship, worship in spirit and in truth. It shows us that true worship is informed by the word of God, it's inspired by God's covenant faithfulness, and it is intent on magnifying the glory of God in providing salvation for us through his son. As I thought about this song, and as I thought about you, the people of New Life, with Christmas just a matter of days away, I thought about my hope for you. And truly, my hope for you this Christmas season is that you would strap on the sandals of Zechariah. That you would cloak yourself in the robe of Mary. And that you would worship the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas season like never before. Especially for his gift of salvation. Now, I know that their roles, Mary's role and Zechariah's role in God's plan, were truly unique, right? Very unique roles. But that doesn't mean that we can't adopt their mindset. That doesn't mean we can't adopt their heart attitude of worship of God. And as I got to thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe even more so. Maybe we can embrace that heart of worship even more. Because think about this. Truth be told, most of us in this room are not of Jewish descent, Most of us in this room are not Jews, and as a result, by birth, we're outside of the covenants. Strangers to the promises, as Paul would write. But praise God, through our faith in in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we Gentiles have been grafted in. That's what the Bible teaches. We've been grafted in. We get to, because of our faith in Jesus, participate in the blessings of the covenants. Because we're in Christ our Jewish carpenter, Savior, Lord, Master, King. We get to be called the children of Abraham, Galatians 3.29 tells us. The spiritual children of Abraham, heirs of the covenant promises because we have the faith of Abraham in a God who keeps his promises. I'd like to talk more about that, but that's another sermon for another day because there's a lot there. And so, as your pastor, I want to challenge you this Christmas season. Those of you, first of all, who are believers, who are participants, recipients of the blessings of the new covenant because you've believed in Jesus Christ, my challenge for you this Christmas season is because of what you know, and maybe I should say because of what you now know, I hope and pray that you will make this the most Christ-centered, Jesus-exalting, worship-filled Christmas season you've ever had. That means if you're a dad or a mom, you've got to lead your family into that, right? You've got to lead your family into that. The culture is going to tell us that Christmas is about everything else, but it's Jesus' birthday. And on someone's birthday, what do we do? We honor them. (laughs) It's their birthday. I implore you, brothers and sisters, dads and moms, make this Christmas about Jesus more than it's ever been. I hope your kids are blown away by it after Christmas is over. They go, wow, mom and dad really got into Jesus' birthday this year. Wow, this is exciting because that's what it's all about. And 
for those in the room who are not yet true believers in Jesus Christ, who have not yet received his costly salvation, who have not yet believed fully that his sacrifice covered all of your sins, who have never yet given him your life, I implore you, please do so. For a hundred reasons, including that then Christmas can really be Christmas for you. I mean, you can actually celebrate Christmas, like the birth of the son of David, the seed of Abraham, the forgiver of sins, the eternal sacrifice and the coming king. Become a believer in Jesus. Who else is worthy of your life? I ask you that question. Who else is worthy of all of your devotion and passion and faith and hope than Jesus? No one else died for you. And no one else rose from the grave that you might have eternal life. Only Jesus. I implore you to believe. Lord, thank you for Zechariah's song. It is stunning. It's amazing. Thank you for your glorious plan you've been at work at for thousands of years to redeem for yourself a royal family to dwell with forever and eternity, to reign with you. Thank you for sending your beloved son, Jesus, to come and live and die for us and to rise again from the grave that he might forgive the sins of all who trust in him. May that happen today for someone sitting within the sound of my voice who has never bowed their knee to King Jesus and given him their entire life. May that happen this morning. And now accept our worship as your sons and daughters who are blown away by your grace to us. I pray in Jesus' name. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This is message number two of the series, Behold an Advent Celebration. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.